to the Golf Barons podcast, Tenuous Links, a golf pun we're not only incredibly proud of, but one we're also sure to emulate. Let us careen through bloviated opinions on all things golf, some outrageous innovation ideas to speed up the game, a few laughs, and an historical retelling of an iconic golf moment. Time to add some swagger to your swing. Welcome back for another episode of Tenuous Links. Today's podcast is brought to you by Under Armour Golf, makers of some of the finest performance golf apparel, shoes, and accessories you'll find anywhere. Under Armour apparel is incredibly comfortable, looks great, and they even have something for all kinds of conditions, whether hot or cold. Add some swagger to your wardrobe with Under Armour, fully Barron's approved apparel. Philbert, here we meet again. Great to be here, Damo. And yes, we um, received a number of compliments on our Under Armour apparel that featured for the first time our little Golf Baron's Man logo, um, both from the President's Cup Media Day and then also subsequently a um, golf day at the delightful Victoria Golf Club. But yeah, the, the number of people who commented on both the polo and also how resplendent our logo looked it's on the left- come up well, hasn't it? On the left chest of it, including, and the surprise was at a delightful little cafe in Hyatt at Sons of Mischief where the barista actually couldn't help himself, but one comment on the logo and secondly, yeah, I'd wear that, which <laughs> for two old golfers is not something you hear every day from a young bloke. So, Sons of mischief, that sounds pretty appropriate for us. That, that pretty well summed up where we're heading um, and love got, it. You've gone with a little bit of a love there, but you know how we kick things off every single podcast, time to dispel some of the the horrible feelings inside us with the revealing of our hates. My hate today, Damien, is a resent. Resent. I know I'm already drawing a bit of a bow. Not a detest? No, no, it's a, it's a resent. Uh, not a hate because I actually respect the skill but hate the idea. So the hate is the person you play with, and I was going to say the bloke, but we don't want to be sexist, but we don't want to be too politically correct either. The bloke you play with or a bloke I particularly play with mm-hmm. who he might only play two or three times a year or claims to play two or three times a year, gets on the first tee, flush, 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 flush. Um, this isn't Phil 2 again, is it? No, it's not Phil 2. But, you know, you get to 12 and he's sitting one or two over. Yeah. Of, oh, no, I only play once every couple of years or, or twice a year. I call bull... Bull banditry. It's bull a bit of banditry. banditry. <laughs> <laughs> bull banditry, in fact, is going to be the new term. So I resent them and I resent them mainly because I play more often than that and don't have the ability to do it. And playing infrequently, there's just something, it's a resentment. It's it, a pretty crap. Is there something really. that's triggered this with you? Is there a reason why this week of all weeks has got you a little bit upset about? Well, partly because I was having – I thought there might only be one of these enigmas that existed and was uh, on the phone to another associate, old friend, don't say it, contact of mine. Gee, I wish I had another term for this. And he was pointing out the fact that he'd had, you know, 10 or 11 years off the game, was a very, very good player before he'd taken it up. 10 or 11 years off the game, maybe a couple of corporate days every year, and you know who you are, and within six months of coming back to the game, he's playing off one, uh, and I think it was described as a comfortable one, and I'm not even sure what a comfortable one is because <laughs> I've never been there. But You'd be happy with being a comfortable nine. I would be comfortable, yes, really, on so many, thank you, yes. A comfortable one after taking that much time off golf is pure respect but resentment, not hate. Damien, I can't hate that. I love that. I love that about the game, but it's not my love. Damien, I need to know what your hate is. My hate. My hate is one that is going to – a lot of people 
if we had Who's phones here, and puffing here, if we had phones here, they would they would be going off the hook because I know this has to be a hate for so many do people. It, do it, do it. I hate socks that have labelled <laughs> left or right foot. <laughs> Like I'm a little bit special and I don't know how to put socks on and I need to be told which one goes on which foot. They are the exactly the bloody same. And so I, because I'm a bit of a rebel, Phil, I just chuck the old righty on the lefty and lefty on the righty and uh, away we go. Because I refuse to be dictated to by hosiery and told what to do. Do you know I heard that Stephen Hawking was going to be working on this concept oh, just after he'd come up with a number of other theories about relative not relativity. I don't know what other theories. Sorry, I should have done the education side of what did Stephen Hawking come up with other than everything smart. He was going to investigate this left and right sock thing. Um, apparently. Investigation. And you've now just, just said, crap, you could oh, A lot of rubbish. Banditry. Yeah. <laughs> On it. I dispute that. Oh, and I'm going to tell what a you. Surprise. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why I dispute that there was a, a sock company, and I don't want to give them any credit because they're certainly not a sponsor of the show. But Stance, they did golf specific <laughs> socks. Yeah. Well, these. Hang on. These. I've that, got these that, that, socks, and they are a part of the problem. So they're not a part of the problem. In that, what they do is they support bleh. the instep on both feet, so it can't support the instep on a right foot and still wrong. support the outstep on the left foot. It's. Can it, but what do you mean wrong? You, I can put them on. I'll go and get them. Oh, you can put I'll them on. Well, them. there's a start. Oh, Damien yeah, well, can put true. on socks. Yeah, Yay, thank you, thank you. Damien. Um, no, but I'm, I'm not joking. You put these things on and you can see that they are exactly the same. They have one little, might be a little, a little pink circle on those socks you're no. talking about on one side and the other. Makes no difference. I've, been, I've managed to be able to walk straight. No problem. On the wrong feet. Didn't do it. They're the biggest load of rubbish. Get rid of them. It's a gimmick. Gimmick, gimmick. Now, I'm just going to um, intervene here for a second. We swore that we would never talk complete crap because one of the things that really annoys us about every other Not golf factual. podcast and, in fact, almost every <laughs> other sports podcast is they spend the first 15 minutes, first, first 15 minutes finding out, so what did you have for breakfast? How was it? Yeah, wheat picks, honey, good. Yeah, good, honey, yeah. Full cream milk or did you go the skim milk? Oh, interesting, yeah. What sort of spoon were you using? We swore we'd never go down this track, and I'm going to declare that a sock discussion no. about left and right feet- They're golf socks. It's relevant. Marginally relevant. Yeah. No, I'm done with them. Never again. I'm going to keep wearing them on the wrong feet. Now, moving forward, Phil, I want to talk about what I love, because yes. I've got something this week that I've- or say this week. I've discovered it over the last month particularly because I've played quite a bit of this, um, this format. It's a golf format that I don't think is played- I wouldn't say it's not played enough, but it's when every time I play it, it highlights for me the problems that I have in my game, and I know very clearly what I need to improve on. And this is the wonderful format called Jensums, otherwise known as Texas Scramble, Scramble I believe. Yeah. Is that correct? I Jensums. Damo, Jensum. why do you love De Jensums? And more to the point, Damien, what have you discovered about your game and your smart guy, dumb golfer? Well, when I say discovered about my game, it's more a validation of what I already knew. <laughs> and we've probably discussed this several times already, but the weakest part of my game is clearly and is highlighted by Jensums getting off the tee cleanly. So Jensums, for those of you who don't quite understand or don't know what it is, it's you tee off as a, so we're playing a group of four, you all tee off, tee off, it's best ball off the tee, and then you play your own ball from there on. That's great for me because it means I'm always starting pretty much from the middle of a fairway and then I'm good. I'm sweet from there, Phil. Did you have any particular highlights uh, from the middle of the fairway, Damien? Oh, I did actually recently, and I'll talk about that a little later in the podcast. But for me, Jensen's, I mean, you know a bit about Jensen. Do you enjoy it as a format? I think it's fantastic. Look, Ambrose gets a bit, 
dull and you don't feel like you're playing golf. And one of the great things about Jensen's is it is you navigate in what is in theory either the slowest or most difficult part of the game, which is actually the the driving bit. And for you, it means save time looking for balls. Um, but you still feel yeah hurtful yet accurate, Damien. And both our listeners know that you do have challenges getting off the tee. Shout out to mum and mum. <laughs> yeah. um, no, my mum does listen to it. But the great thing about Jensen's is that you can get to the end of the round and you actually feel like you have played a round of golf. And the, the thing about Ambrose is you get to the end of the game and you've, you might have had a nice social experience, but it's not a game of golf. I mean, you've just whacked the ball a few times and with limited care, particularly if you're playing with a good player. Um, whereas Jensen's, you really feel in the game other than that driving. And I agree with you completely that it, it really starts to highlight – where your game could be were you to be in the middle of the, hit every fairway and hit every fairway into a good or reasonable position. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the two recent games that I've played, um, and we played a, a great courses, uh, it highlighted that. for me, well, it highlighted for me that I'm actually pretty, I'm good enough from, in, like, if you were a poor putter or you were a poor chipper, that would still highlight in your Stableford score, for example. Whereas if I'm going 41, 39, you know that the only part of your game that's actually struggling at the moment is your driving. So that was really good to highlight that for me to go, right, back to this discussion we've talked about. I need to just leave, literally leave the driver at home, which I'm going to do in my next round. I promise everyone I will be leaving my driver at home. He won't. And taking my three wood, or maybe I'll leave it in the car. But I'll at least, it'll be in the vicinity, but it won't be in my bag. Or if it's in the bag, oh, no, no, it's not coming out with me. That three wood. Because I was nothing it again. I love that three wood. Oh, shout my out. three wood. Th- shout out to uh, exotics again. The you you love my three wood. I love you. I'm sorry to bang on about this. You love it's not you yours. love my three wood. But what it does highlight. You talk about highlighting the, the strengths and weaknesses in a game. Yeah. If you can still have say 40 or 41 points playing Jensen's mm-hmm. as a Staleford score. Yeah. Um, so the winner from a, a particular round that we played at Victoria Golf Club must really be shit off the tee. Very poor, you would think. To then have 48 points mm. playing Jensen's. It would suggest that the weakness in his handicap and uh, he's getting off the tee and finding the fairway. Or scoring. <laughs> Whack. Whack. Wow. Sorry. So my love, looking for- my love is Jensen's. No, okay. Get out and try it uh, if you haven't and just see if um, see if you can find out. It'll at least highlight, possibly highlight, what's, what's actually wrong with your game or areas that you can improve. I love it, Phil. Over to you, mate. What have you got? What, what's getting your heart pumping this week? I love, do you know what I love? And it's not necessarily that it's topical or anything that it's occurred to me, but thinking about some people I've enjoyed watching golf play over the journey, people who've introduced me to the game and then one more recent, and that is body English. That is- Body English? Body English. Using your body to change where the ball is going, or more to the point, using your body because you think it's going to affect where the ball is going. It's like and body language. No, I'm not it's talking about bit, folding arms. It doesn't have to be English. Well, it just has to be English because it's my topic, okay. Damien. Okay, Phil. I'll and this go. is what I want. <laughs> my mispronunciations will come in later on. I'm calling it body English. It might be a lack of education. I couldn't even tell you what Stephen Hawking had done, which is a disgrace in the first place. So I'm not off to a good start. So just let me go with this. Ho Sung Choi created great notoriety for himself, particularly this year, but over the last few years the Korean golfer who has one of the most interesting swings yeah. of all time, and as soon as he hits it, he's dancing. Things are going on everywhere. He's got feet and arms and things flying everywhere, but in reality, when he gets to the ball, he's pretty solid at contact. But there's all these other things going on. You think about guys like Chichi Rodriguez back in the day yeah. who hit a putt and he'd yeah, do all these fancy yeah. things. A little guy called Arnold Palmer that you might have known, that looked like he was hitting these little punch shots. But in the end, if you watch him, he's steering that ball. You know, drones obviously existed back in the day. 
But here's a personal one for you. The the, the king, the absolute king of body oh, English, God, of being able to affect result, um, was the person who introduced me to the game of golf, and it is my old man who was an absolute disgrace at doing this. I'm talking on two-foot putts. As soon as the club made contact, he's got legs flying out and kicking back, almost kicking himself in the arse, off the tee, literally as the club is almost approaching the ball. He's already pointing and trying to lean and moving around the ball. And I love it. I love the expression that comes out and it, it, it adds a personality to the game that is magnificent. So where Jordan Spieth will talk to the ball and he'll, he'll coax it through verbalisation – it's effectively that with your body. It's with your body uh, and it's leaning. And you watch a lot of guys, you know, the lean forward or back, and Keegan Bradley is a great one for you. It's all a hit and almost fold over forwards. But it's adding a little bit of a bit more swagger to the leaning <laughs> under this belief that it's going to affect things. So if I lean further left and look around from it, trying to get a different view of the TV, maybe the ball will start to head right or otherwise. And I just think it's fantastic. It's just – there's not many sports you can do it. In tennis, you've got to re- hit in a return. So I'll you don't have you a chance would, to be a dickhead. I, t- I tell you I tell you who would be fantastic at this. We've got to get him out on a golf course at some point. Steve Smith would be a great <laughs> – he'd, he'd be fantastic with his body English. I wonder whether Steve Smith, uh, the Australian cricketer, for those listening to us from, from overseas um, – Actually plays golf the way he bats. Oh, I wish. Oh, it would be one of the because most enjoyable things to shuffling watch. His, shuffling his feet, getting ready to hit the ball, and then sort of jumping around and all the rest of it. And then as soon as he hits it, wondering the where this club's going to go. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you don't stand too close. You course. wouldn't step in. Yeah, you wouldn't step in. He's not the kind of guy you step in until he's finished and put the club Which back could in be the five bag. Or six seconds. But, yeah. um, but no, I love it. It just adds a personality and a layer to the game. And it's one of the few games that you can do it. Um, even in lawn bowls, well done. You tip your hat. You know, that's good. And I, I love lawn bowls, but you there's would. not that excitement around the game other than chasing the ball up and down, um, like Rob Perella back in the day. But in golf, you've got this ability to influence or pretend that you can influence what's going on in the flight of the golf ball, and I think it's fantastic. So cheers. I love it. Are you, a to- are, body you a, are you a talker? Do you talk to it or do you body lean or body English, whatever you I, I tend to swear at it yeah. a little bit, and I don't lean I as much, and I think I'm, I'm a non-leaner. Because You're an anti-leaner. Because I was the son of the master leaner. Ah, so and therefore, if you can't leaner. compete, don't play. Sans lean, Phil. Yeah, sans lean. So there you go, Damien. That was my overly long what I love, but I do love, love, love body English. So don't be afraid to express yourself Excellent. when you're playing golf. Now's the time to get ourselves involved with a bit of game changing. Our game changes for this week. I've got one that I don't know if it's going to be overly popular, Um but I really think we need to start making courses easier. And I don't mean easy, but I mean easier. And just to get back to that enjoyment of the game, and I'm going to use um, a course that's uh, close to your heart, the new Gunnamatta course down at the National. There's been some complaints about it that it's not hard enough effectively. Well, some discussion, yeah. Well, I mean, they'll no, stop complaints. short of complaining. Yeah, actually, there's been a yeah, lot of bitching yeah. everywhere. And I remember you, I think you, it was you, I think, telling me this, um, having, you had a conversation with someone who had played it and had said, oh, no, but it's, you know, I don't like the rating of it and and it's it's at whatever it was, 119 or, or something along those lines. And they're like, oh, you know, it's a national course. It shouldn't be that easy. And she said, oh, but I really enjoyed the round. And I'm like, what else bloody matters? Yes, but Just that was actually it. the point of the story, and I might not have completed the story, is the upside of the story. What, the upside of the story was is that if you looked solely at a course based on how difficult it was in theory, um, you're only seeing the tiniest dimension and a, an irrelevant dimension really for the golf course that you're about to play. What you should be looking at is, did I enjoy it? Was it fair? Did it give me a chance? Mm-hmm. 
but did it test me enough? And the reality is, is that some some golf courses do. And as an extension to that theory, another esteemed colleague of mine had a, an additional theory along those same lines. It, if nothing else, make a course as hard as you want, mm-hmm. but from a design and a fundamental design point of view, give us an easy open and give us an easy close. So it maximizes our chances of starting the day thinking I've got a chance yeah. or finishing the day with a smile on my face where I'll go into the clubhouse and I'll have a drink and I'll have a relax and I'll have a chat and I'm feeling pretty good about myself versus having this 18th hole, which traditionally is penal and punishing, or, or that's my perception of it. Hopefully I don't have all these course yeah. designers there going, these guys really don't get what we're trying to do at all. But you, you give someone a softer finish and a soft start, then I think the game and the round can get set up and can get finished off nicely. So I, I agree. I, d- I just don't think there should be a let's make it hard obsession. It should be a let's make it challenging for all levels and find ways of tweaking it. And, and using your example of going to matter, you know, if you want to make the course harder, play off the black tees. But when people talk about it, making it harder, or I'd ask them straight out, have you, so did you, you obviously shot one under, yeah? No. If you haven't shot one under, you haven't beaten the course. It's still hard. Yeah. Don't, like you mean one under your handicap? You mean thirty-seven points, or you mean one under off the stick? Yeah, well, either way. Yeah, okay. I'd, well, I'd like you—I'd like to explore this theory a little bit, Damien. No, you haven't thought of it that deeply. <laughs> right. We're on a roll today, sir. <laughs> Talk about not thinking about things too deeply. Given the amount of notes we've made, I'm not sure where. Well, I'm looking at your game changer coming up, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, I'm not sure uh, you're the one to be throwing stones. So let's get into your game changer, Phil. What have you got? <laughs> Damien, it shames me to say that my game changer for this week, and this is a flashback, I suppose, not wanting to let go of the past. And as has been pointed out, I think in every podcast is how much older than you I am, yet more sprightly of tone uh, and far more intelligent, but older. Um, So I remember playing golf early on in my early days, whereby on maybe every second hole was a ball washer. And this was not just a normal ball washer. This was a hard steel cylinder that had a winding lever on it with black rubber on the inside where you'd put the ball in and it was a bit of a lucky dip about whether they even bothered to put water into the bottom of it or and then every now and again it would come out dirtier. Was this than, in Technicolor? Then it went in. Oh, Damien, we, we will be talking after this. A long heart to heart. But So you're not sure whether it would come out clean, whether it would come out <laughs> dirtier. So it's a lottery. Come out covered in mud. <laughs> Or, you know, it just seemed one of those manual things. But but what I like is the idea of encouraging people to keep their equipment clean as we go around. So my game changer, I mean, other than the fact that at Ivanhoe Golf Course where I grew up playing, where they started by putting towels on these ball washers to help you dry them, and they lasted, I reckon, the first two or three groups. 15 years. <laughs> um, and if eBay was around you would have, back then, you would have found a number of towels for sale. And, George, you know who you are. Um but what I'd like to do or what I'd like to see is a lot more ball washers and a lot more club cleaners, particularly even if it was only on par threes. It gives you a maximum chance of getting maximum performance out of your equipment. So clean the ball, make sure you clean the, the ball, brush your club um, through the brushes or otherwise, clean the club and therefore play better. But it seems like it's a more engaging way of saying, the course saying, we want you to play well. Does it have to be the the, rotate, the rotary yeah, style one or it can does. it be the up and down? No, it can't be. Squidgy, well, whatever that's called. Um, it, the brushy, squidgy, you know the one. Can't be Mrs. Green from Caddyshack because that just won't work from Carl Spackler. So it, it ideally, there, there it is. You had to get ideal. I do it, have it, to. It, I do it. always have to try my very best. Caddyshack. So no, it's not about Mrs. Green. This is about having any ball wash of any description. But but really, it's about embracing that. Let's just try and keep things clean because it's also a, a course's way of saying 
Yeah, we'll give you a leg up. We'll, we'll keep helping you out. There you have it. Let's try and have clean balls. Right. Moving along to gear effect, Phil, because that's um, that ties in quite nicely, really. <laughs> Speaking of balls, Phil, I've, I've got a little bit of a confession to make. Mm-hmm. So you know how I've been going on about using low-spin balls and the benefit of low-spin balls? Well, I've kind of reversed my thinking oh. on this. <laughs> I've gone back to a tool ball. Last couple of rounds, I've gone back to a tool ball because, well- oh, Because uh, well, one, I'm a man of no conviction. <laughs> well, mainly because I, I couldn't turn up that Royal Melbourne composite with a with a really low-spinning ball. Couldn't or wouldn't? <laughs> little from column A, little from column B. <laughs> couldn't in my own head and wouldn't in my own head. Um, right. So I've, I've reverted back and I've been playing okay. So maybe that wasn't my problem. In the, Maybe it wasn't the, uh, the spinning- Crazy spinning balls, that was my issue. I'm, I think it I'm was back a, to the drawing board. Yeah, it was probably a reset you needed to have because your theory at the time was fantastic. And the main point about when you went to low spinning balls, the theory was is that you wanted to still be able to hit driver and just not hit it as wide. As we now understand, you're getting your head around hitting three wood. Just don't hit driver. And just never hitting driver. So the control is actually there. And I think it's actually a really good discovery to make regarding golf balls. And there's an interesting one, a method or a thought around golf balls, which says that, yes, I know it's a two-piece ball, but I'm not good enough to use one mm. of these tour-type balls. Yeah. Ideally, a urethane-covered ball. And I can tell you that from the last couple of rounds that we've been out and played at some pretty nice courses, I wouldn't be using anything else. Yeah. And I'm not a great player. But from my point of view, I need to look down and I need to know that if by chance I happen to hit this well, it will do exactly what I want it to do and it will stop and it will react the way I like. Plus, I like the look of them. Um, so from my point of view, I've actually um, spent the last couple of rounds using a Titleist Pro V1 and enjoy immensely both the look and how the ball performs, particularly on the courses that we're playing at. And to the point where I will never go to a two-piece ball, I will learn to hit the ball differently. But the the idea or the concept here though is, is around, is there a point where I'm not good enough to use a tour Yeah level ball or a tour quality ball. And there's different theories around this, obviously. Yeah, there's a lot of them. And, and I think the one that stuck with me that I heard many years ago but is, has resonated a number of times is that think about, and you're going to hate because you love my analogies, but this yeah. is not mine. Especially the ones that actually don't make any sense. I'm repeating someone else. Okay, so this might actually so this might be an credibility. Okay, cool. I'm listening. So I'm not able to drive a True. Formula One car. True. <laughs> right. Oh, sorry, you didn't need right. feedback. Sorry, right, yes. I'll, anyway, I'll... and now moving on. David, anything? Uh, no, so I'm not able to drive a Formula 1 car as well as Lewis Hamilton. Mm-hmm. But I can still drive a Formula 1 car faster and corner better than I can a Toyota Camry. Or a Skoda. Why do you have to say it like that? Why do you have to be down on me all the time? Just because I enjoy Eastern Skoda. European. There's no problem with Eastern European. But the re- that's the absolute reality, is that I can corner better, I can drive a Formula 1 car better than I can, even though I'm not as skilled as a Lewis Hamilton to get the most out of the car. I can still get more out of the car than I could out of a Skoda, to your point, which I really like, by the way. No, they're not a sponsor of the show. So the theory then is, is that am I not good enough to use a a tour quality ball? Mm. Well, you're still going to get more out of it than you are out of using a cheap ball. And And it's sort of one of those challenging things that I would say to almost everybody like if and, and again, yes, they're expensive, and and the lower the standard in theory, unless you really can't chip or putt, the likelihood of of losing them is higher. Mm. But if you have the means, you're far better off using a ball that is going to perform better where you hit the majority of your shots, which are around the greens, 
than you are worrying about a ball that will perform differently off the tee. And this is part of the discovery that that you have had is that you know what I'm what I'm conceding, and I think we discussed this as well. What I'm conceding around the greens, I'm not happy to concede. So I need performance around the greens, and therefore that is going to be a tour quality ball, which in theory is going to be urethane covered ball. I personally like cast urethanes, of which there's only two or three brands on the market that do it. Yeah, but does that does it matter where you're playing as well? Like, does that factor into it? So if, if you're playing a kind of game where you're, um, I don't know, you're over, over in Scotland and you've got to play these long running type balls, does the spin component of it become a far less important to to your game and therefore a just a, a ball that's going to spin less and keep you on the um, fairways? Is that then a better option? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's so many different different theories around this. Um, course conditions. So where I would say that you would concede a, a high spinning or a tour, tour type ball might be if the greens are really receptive and really soft. So middle of winter, almost the middle of winter mm-hmm. anywhere, whereby any ball coming in is going it's to stop. It's going to stop pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, it's going to stop quick enough. So to your point about running off the tee, we're, we're not talking about um, people like us, and I'll just talk about people like us, will hit the ball inconsistently enough that there's going to be a significant difference in the amount of spinning off the tee. Mm-hmm. Anyway, be it tour ball, two-piece ball or, or otherwise. So there's other variables at play that won't really take into account whether or not I, I hit that. But the other thing that you need if, you, if you're particularly a, a more accomplished player is the ability to spin the ball on iron shots and otherwise, to be able to work the ball you know, left or right or high or low. You need to be able to control spin. So if there's no spin then you just hit the same shot. So you just point to point to point to point to point. And we like the creativity, even when we do it on purpose. Love it. Love it. Well, okay. Well, that's – anyway, that's me. I've got, I'm going back to, um, back to tour balls and – It was inevitable. if I go it. back again. No, no. It, you, it's inevitable because now that you're becoming – attempting to become smart guy, smarter golfer by hopefully anchoring your driver in your bag until you get fitted for one that's really going to perform and do what you need it to, you're going to be in far better shape for your game by using a tour quality ball than you are by using a, a two-piece ball. And again, it's, a, it's sort of encouraging everyone to at least test those grades out and say, I now see why that would happen. That ball stopped and it wouldn't have stopped if I was using my old two-piece ball. Yeah. But talking about putting the driver back into the bag, Damien. Hey, boom. I was going to go with the tour concept, but I like the way I like where you went. Let's talk about bags, Phil. You have some discussion that you wanted to have yeah, on golf bags. So we, we've all heard about tour bags or staff bags. Well, you've explained to me the difference between tour and staff bags. And or lack basically of. They are the same thing. We've got stand bags. We've got car bags. We, we know all of that. But my question to you is why, as Mr. Product Man over here, mm. why does it seem to be that the more expensive a bag is, the less functionality it has? <laughs> like, am, is it just me Am I, or is, is this a thing? It's a, you can speak freely it, now. It is one of the finest questions, Damien, you've asked me today. Oh, that's hurtful. So the claim will be materials. The claim will yeah, be okay. stitching. The claim will be the quality. I mean, it feels sturdy. Yeah. It feels strong and sturdy. It has less dividers. It has less functionality. It's got less pockets Heavy, but bigger heavier. pockets. It's heavier. Just, well, the caddies are um, in their keep, I guess. Yeah. So other than the fact that it's heavier and less functional – um, it certainly does have far bigger branding on it than you would get. So, mm. it, you know, it's always nice. And we always joke about this, that it's nice of us to be able to pay more money to promote someone else's brand. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure, sure that works, know. but I'm just not sure. And, yes, I'm offending our sponsors here, but so be it. Um, because 
you know, the more money I pay, the bigger brand I get on the side of it. So really, that's about brand connection. If we want to get into the psychology of buying golf bags, we don't really, Phil. I wanted to get <laughs> okay. more. In, I wanted Moving to get right more, more into the uh, concept of if you could add something to a bag, because mm. they've, obviously they've they've got a whole heap of different things that have been introduced into bags over the years. My question to you is, if you could add two things that would change your game, what would it be? So, first of all, I'm going to declare I'm a stand bag person, not a cart bag person. So, I love that. I love the functionality of stands. So, stand bags are the great things from pencil bags and stand bags. I love stand is every time. So, I'm not a cart bag person. I'm not a staff bag person. But what are you adding to it? What are you adding? You really just. I'm why excited. can't I, I just tell a story? Just let me tell a story. So, stand bags now have got cooler pockets, and they've got valuables well, cooler pockets. Than Wow. Getting cooler. Wow, we wheat picks. So cooler pockets and they've got valuables pockets and they've got double straps and all these other things. But do you know what stand bags don't have, Damien? What don't they have, Phil? Which is one of my favourite things to do when I'm playing golf. They don't have an inbuilt speaker. Damien. They don't have a connectivity speaker. They don't have a speaker up the top whereby you just Mm -hmm. connect to your golf bag via Bluetooth from your phone Mm -hmm. and now you've got the whole music sorted. Or if you're playing golf and the cricket's on or the baseball's on and you can listen as you go. Does this not exist? Surely someone's come up with this. If not, uh, that's going to be trademarked. I'd like to to think it exists, but I've never seen one. I've never heard of one and the argument will always be, oh, but you throw it into the back of the car. No, we don't throw things around. These are our golf clubs. I mean, the bag is 300 bucks. The gear in the bag is 3000 bucks. Why would I throw it? Give me a speaker. Just yeah. give me a speaker. I, I love just, where you're going with this. Just bringing music. Bring a, that fun And a speaker it. holder is not enough because it, it just oh, then you it's actually want a speaker. You want oh, a Sony I want an inbuilt, in I would like an inbuilt speaker. Dear bag manufacturers, I would like an inbuilt speaker in my stand bag, please. Do a deal with Sony or with Sennheiser or with someone. With anybody who makes speakers. Both. I. Yeah. Okay. So you're thinking good quality sound. Yeah. Done. I like it. Excellent. Done. Sold. But I'm Damien, a, love, that was mine. I love where you're going with that, Phil. Damien, that was mine. Do you have something you'd like to add to your ideal bag? And what is your ideal bag? My ideal bag. Hmm. What would I like to add? I'd like. To, I'll tell you what I'd like to add. I'd like to add a cigar holder to start with because it's one of. It's a problem for a lot of people. I get this. You're there with your Cuban and you have to put it on the ground or you have to leave it. If you're in a cart, you've got nowhere to put When you've got your bag and you're pulling it along, yeah, that makes sense. Have a little, a nice little – I know you can get little clip-on things. Those things are cheap and nasty and they're no good. Don't like them. More importantly, I'd like a wine glass holder, Phil, because I don't. there's nothing worse than wanting to have a nice glass of red and you can't – have it on your bag. Wait, can I? Sorry, can I just <laughs> ask you here? I like when was red. the last time? When was the? <laughs> when was the last time you played golf and thought, "Hmm, I might take out a cheeky little Pinot and in a wine glass." When have I thought about it, or Bugger, when have I done it? I can't attach it to my golf bag, so I'm not going to do it. As you can see, you've discovered the problem. Now I've come up with the solution. <laughs> Get a nice little. <laughs> you know I'm right on this. Are you telling me We're that if? Need- we're going to need some better suspension, obviously, because you don't want to spill it. But no, I think you would sell a truckload and people would play happier so if they've had a nice a, a nice little Shiraz perhaps on a cooler day. You, you, you're looking at me okay. with- You didn't pick spells. holes in my idea, and I appreciate that, but I'm going to pick holes in yours. So I'm going to start with a cigar holder. Damien, nylon, flammable cigars. Talk to me. What are you talking- You can't set fire with a cigar, Phil. I'd challenge you to do that. You can't. You can't set fire to no, what? No, because a cigar, the whole idea of a cigar is, one, it burns cool. and It burns cool. Yes, well, here's tunnels, a concept, Stephen Hawking. It tunnels yeah. inside itself. It's a tunneling, cool-burning. 
trademark. cylinder, is it? Trademark. Uh, <laughs> no, but quite seriously, whereas a cigarette, like a cigarette, those filthy, filthy things, they you have a, a fire on the end of it and the spark. Whereas with a cigar, it burns inside the leaves, and it he's demonstrating in, so this by have- by showing me how the cigar burns with his hands. I really, I either well, need I to start smoking more cigars. Hands. What's that? I either need to start smoking more cigars to witness this for myself, this internal burning combustion situation that cigars have. Now, moving on to the the wine, I'm still a bit confused about the wine glass. Tell me you wouldn't like a nice glass of red while you're having a game of golf on a beautiful sunny day. Come on. Like, am I the only person who thinks like this? Right. Moving along here, Phil. Uh, Speaking of tipples. (laughs) Golf tipples. Before we we get into a bit of the barren... The things that you've done that are very barons-like or baronesque for this this week, I'm going to pour you just a little Cuban rum over here. There she goes. Just have a little sip on that, Phil. That's just going to warm the cockles of your heart and help you just to relax for the last half of the podcast. <laughs> Cheers. So, or help me recover from the wine glass holder on golf bag concept, which you may be amongst friends. I'm not sure. But well, anyway- Truth be told, this is more for medicinal purposes. Uh, a little bit scratchy in the throat today. So, <laughs> but well, that's uh, what we've gone with today. Is just the Ron Santiago de Cuba. Um, it's a little Cuban rum. It's not an expensive one, but it's a nice little one to have neat. You're going to be the end of me, Damien. Oh, really? How how does that taste, Phil? Lovely bit of caramel, a little bit of a little bit of uh, burnt sugar in there. It's lovely. Anyway, does it burn internally? Yeah, well, it's Cuban, so it must. It would It would be a nice – in fact, is there a cigar degustation menu, Damien, that we can create as golf barons? We will We will get to that at some point when we can get a group a group of barons to come and experience it with us. Yeah, absolutely, we'll get, we'll get down that track. But, Philip. A bit of barrenness, Damien, was your leading. A little yes. Bit of, a little touch of barrenness. What? what have, you, have you got something that, that you've done recently that sort of shows uh, – you're in a barren. Well, it's, this is not um, directly about me, Damien, but as you have conceded over the journey that Caddyshack is a far better movie than Happy Gilmore. And Never said it. Yes, you've said it with your eyes. Um, and, and within Caddyshack, there was a gentleman called El Chervik who had the golf bag, and his golf bag had a speaker in it, and that's- Ah, there's your you know, time. We're, we're talking, how many years ago? What's that, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, almost 40 years ago? He gets a speaker- I just can't get a speaker today. But the thing was music on the course. And mm-hmm. so the very barren thing that I was made aware of or reminded of was a dear friend of mine who managed to get himself a golf cart. And so what's the first thing a baron would drop into his golf cart, Damien? Probably a cigar holder. And then the second thing would, in theory, be a wine glass holder. So therefore, the Working third thing <laughs> the third thing would be a <laughs> great set of system. speakers. Yeah, so. A great set of speakers into his cart, whereby all of his playing partners knew that if you're going to go and play with this gentleman, who I've changed names to hide identities, but if you're going to go and ch- play with Mark, uh, or Mark, potentially I didn't change his name, <laughs> um, but you were going to be played surrounded by music. And, and again, his first reaction and, and the early reaction was, it's just more fun. It, it's just more lively. So to actually drop speakers into the cart, and we're not talking about making it V8 or making it go 60 kilometres an hour, this is just speakers. And this is not to affect the entire course, it's just to infect the group. And I reckon that's really baronesque. The fact that he moved away from the cart with speakers and has now gone to a golf board, oh, he's no. kind of dropped off the baron radar he's a little de-baroned. bit. He's, he's still a, He's been debaroned. He's still a fine gentleman. Um, and there is good reason for the golf board, but the fact that he had a cart and it had speakers. See, the board's not barren. 
The board isn't barren. Uh, the board's not as I'm barren. Sorry. But the reason, in fact, just because we'll touch on this and I must do the right thing, the reason for his board is barren in that it's the conversation. And so he felt that the golf cart was removing him from conversation with okay. a group of four players or three other players, whereas the golf board allows him to protect his knees but also to continue to have the conversation with the other players because you can actually be – you're walking amongst them or part of them. And it's actually a really, really smart and well-thought-out play. So now he's re-barroned. So, yes, I know this is this is the way the baron – The baronhood works. seems quite tenuous. <laughs> yeah, it's as tenuous as this podcast, Damien. But, um, yeah, so that was the baron thing. But, Damien, what about you? Are you Have you baroned yourself well, up? Well, one of the things we were lucky enough to do was we were invited to the Victoria Golf Club media – Media Day, so it's been revamped, and it's it mm. was um, it was magic, wasn't it? How good is that course looking now? There was some. I did play golf with a couple of members weeks earlier, who were complaining about the seventeenth. Unusual. Hole. Oh yeah, well exactly. Winges hashtag Winges, um, complaining about the seventeenth hole, how it's been redesigned, and so I was really quite eager to check that out um, and see what all the complaints were about. They were completely bloody wrong. The 17th now looks so much better than it ever did. It's got bunkering along the right-hand um, right hand side now. You can't see the pond or the water catchment area. It's actually one of the – one of the. Oh, can you say one of the better ones? I've got so many great holes. Yeah, it's one of the better 18 at, at Victoria Golf Club. It genuinely looks fantastic now. So I don't know what they were complaining about there. But anyway, that's not my Baron's thing. What would a Baron do, Phil, if he was sitting up on the 15th hole? Oh, so short that's right. Sorry. Four, we led into this in the fault. middle. You've you've decided to you, you've taken you've because we're playing Jensen's. We've taken the shorter hitter because we had to get had to get old boy on the card. And um, what happened? What would a baron do there? They'd probably I don't know. They'd probably pitch in from about eighty out, wouldn't they, Phil? That's what a baron would do. Are you saying that video of you that you posted <laughs> and no, somehow I, managed no. to film yourself? It was the social media team that you posted, posted. to. That you posted work to us. Well, it may have been hashtag work, work experience, experience kids. Kid. <laughs> um, was that a genuine? Was that you genuinely walking onto the green, having hold your second shot? Genuinely chip, uh, chipping. It's not a chip. It's a pitch from eighty out, and it rolled. It just tracked beautifully. Uh, the call was honestly. The call from me was, "Oh no, it's going to pull up short. It's going to pull up short." And everyone else was going, "No, no, it's all over it, all over it." Bang! Happy days. I'd so self awareness, yeah, great. Yep, yeah. one of those things. Oh, absolutely. I thought I, I got it. I'll be honest. I got it a little bit thin, Phil. Um, it's one. It's one of those things in golf, though. One of those moments that we all we've all had them at some point, and you just go, ah, oh, that it just lifts you, and you go, I love this game. What a great game. Have you, you've come yeah. back hard. You, you, we do lose you every now and again to the game of golf, and you come back hard, and it doesn't take a lot. But what I will say, well. what I will say about. Vic and the OCM team that that rebuilt all the greens and, and Mike Cocking as the lead. That is, you know, we're talking about composite being the, the best collection of 18 holes that I believe I'm ever going to play hashtag disclaimer. No, hashtag disclaimer. Leave yourself somewhere to go, Phil. Leave yourself hashtag somewhere disclaimer. to go. But as a golf course, we will declare, I will declare that Victoria Golf Club is well and truly magic, holding its ground against Royal Melbourne West and against Kingston Heath. And the Greens are out of this world. Yeah, and, and congratulations to everybody there. Loved it. Loved the golf course. And no, this is not an ad for Victoria Golf Club, but it is, given the fact they've got accommodation there and everything else, this is a unique golf course experience in the middle of the sandbelt. And the golf course is phenomenal. We're definitely going to have some sort of an event there at some point. So keep an eye out for that because I looked over at Phil during that media day and went, hey, we're doing something here. Yeah, have to. It's just a magical place that is very understated. It's very subtle. You know, it doesn't punch you in the face at any point in time. It just 
it, it just allows you to exist within it, and um, and we had an absolute joy there. It and it just highlights why the sand belt is regarded around the world as such a magnificent place for golfers to to get to. So. Yeah, that was my Barron's moment, Phil. Very Barron-esque, Damien. It's, it's something – I mean, pitching in anywhere is kind of something that you dream about, isn't it, Phil? Well, normally it's from a foot, Damien. But regarding the dreaming, no, I got the Please dreaming reference. I just me. needed to put in the fact that you're only a foot away and you chipped in and congratulations. So, But dreaming, Damien, Damien, this week's dreaming, this week's golf dreaming, and I want everybody to listen up and pay attention because I know the Wheat Bix conversation has put you off. They've all nodded off, Phil. But this is important. When I say Bulgaria, Damien, what do you immediately think of? Salami? No. Because I'm not sure what it what is. What does Bulgaria do? <laughs> I'm not, no offence to Bulgaria. And if anyone listening feta. from- They do a good- There's a Bulgarian, Bulgarian feta. It's not feta. bad. Yeah, yeah. okay. Not oh, bad. you're allergic to feta, aren't you? No wonder you smiled when you said that, Damien. Um, but I want to tell you about this golf course again that I was alerted to by- Because I'm not in charge of research. It was our research department. And it's called, and don't have a go at me about my ability to pronounce things. You'll be right. You can do it. <laughs> Thracian Cliffs. Thracian Cliffs. In Bulgaria. It's on the Black Sea. That's um, the, Gary, and, Pla- Gary Player designed. Gary Player designed golf course. There's a European course. tour event there as well. And Gary Player has said this is the most beautiful golf course in the world. The, the friend of mine who referred me to it via the, the link, sent me the email and, and said, you need to check this place out, has declared this is the best golf course he has ever played. And wow. this young man has played everywhere. Yeah, he's all over the show. And I mean everywhere. Yeah. I mean, he has played everywhere. And he has said this is the best golf course in the world. And when you go and have a look around their website and you look at some of the images about Thracian Cliffs, it can be nothing but our golf dreaming. I mean, this is a place that we dream and drool and mm. drool over. T-H-R-A-C-I-A-N, Cliffs, you must go and Google this place. If you want majestic, incredible views but but an amazing golf course, you have to just go and look at this, let alone the resort and the beaches and everything else that goes along with it. I'm in heaven. I thought Lothala was pretty good. But the, this is up there, you know, in the last couple of weeks, this is up there with some of the greatest places I've ever seen in my life. magnificent. It does. We're me. really starting to nail this golf dreaming thing, Damien. I'm really starting to get it. Yeah, you're getting a bit excited. But these are good the, places. I can see the grin on your faces at all. So back-to-back Lothala Island and into uh, Thracian Cliffs, we are going places. Oh, wow. Barons, come along with us. Come on. This is going to be magic. <laughs> well, I've got one this week as well, Phil. We've kind of gone peak-peak here because I was, um, you know, with the, the latest Barons Life issue, been working on being a President's Cup issue. Um, we're sort of, as we do, we, we've sort of been thinking about other – other links to presidential things, and and obviously, as a part of that, I was looking up some of the Trump courses that he's got around the world, and one I just kept coming back to and getting stuck on is Trump International Golf Links, the one in Aberdeen, oh, Scotland. Oh. Wowee. Make me cry. Unbelievable. I know there's been some controversy around it all, and we're not going to get involved in any of that, but all I can say And that's is- not even around the Trump bit. <laughs> but I, but I honestly, this Martin Hawtree designed it um, from scratch. They bought the land. They've built it from scratch. I think it's believed they've spent around $140 million on the project. And you can see that they've spent a hell of a lot on it. It is, it is unbelievably pretty. Um, you're talking, you know, proper links course on the on the coast. It looks old. Like it looks like a properly yeah, it really does. Yeah. old, old yeah. course. And it isn't, isn't old at all. Um, but as you say, it's the, it's all the other things around it. The accommodation, five star, looks amazing. Um, the the fine dining that's in the place. This is this is so Barons. We 
we have to get there, Phil. <laughs> the aspiration, and this is the point about the barons, is it's about aspiration. It's not necessarily saying, you know, you must do this or you have to be this or you have to be that, but you're allowed to dream. And it, it turns out that we might have to go to Aberdeen via Bulgaria because that's just what you do. I mean, it's a, I'm sure there's a direct flight to both. Have we got a private jet? <laughs> no, that's right, but I'm sure our friends at Eddie Hat will be able to help us out. No, they're not sponsoring the show, but I just figure <laughs> if we just keep going, eventually someone will say, you know what? We like I think it. you guys are okay. We'll back you in. No, I feel so. That yeah, that, that's our dreaming this week. We've got a, we're going to be quite somnambulant with those two. But let's get into your history lesson for this week, Phil. One well, of the more popular segments <laughs> that you like. Thank you, Damien. You're you're very encouraging of me and my history lessons. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about a, a gentleman that had made a, a relatively large impact on the game of golf by the name of Alistair McKenzie. Ah, yes. And I thought, given the fact that we went to Aberdeen um, to talk about Trump International, then let's just get back to Scotland and pay homage to what may well be regarded, along with Alistair McKenzie, as as the most influential and great golf course designers, um, curators, and, and golfers of all time, and that's our man, old Tom Morris. So today I'd like to just talk a little bit about old Tom Morris. And without boring anyone too much about it and the background of him, you can look to Wikipedia, which is all I did. But he was <laughs> born in 1821 and died in 1908. And he died at St Andrews. And uh, he, in fact, he fell down the stairs of the clubhouse at St Andrews, which is a, uh, an inauspicious a of- way to finish. But in many respects, it's very... Um, did he have a couple of St Andrews cocktails? Very way of rounding out his life. I'm not going to suggest in any way, shape or form that he was... That a Scotsman <laughs> drank? I don't think you're going to offend anyone. I don't believe that he was under the influence at the time, Damien. Toxicology is still to come back. But I wanted to tell you a couple of things about old Tom Morris, and I won't even touch on young Tom Morris, other than the fact that he made an albatross in 1870 on the first hole at Prestwick, although it was a par six. Old Tom Morris, Open Champion in 1861, 62, 64, and 67. So four-time Open Champion. Not bad. From a golf course point of view, I'm just going to rattle off a few names of golf courses that that he had an involvement with. And I'm not saying he designed them from scratch, but I'm saying he had a significant involvement with, be it by design or be it by curation or otherwise. So the new course at St. Andrews. Tick. Tick. Royal County Down. Oh, big tick. Royal Dornock. Muirfield, Macrahanish, Carnoustie, Crail, a fabulous golf course that was only almost rediscovered early in, in 2000, might have been 2008, called a skirmish in the Hebrides region of, of Scotland um, that he built in 1891 and they tried to recreate as close as they could to it. Uh, Cruden Bay, Cruden Bay, which is regarded as one of the, the great golf courses. And then the, the last one, um, is a golf course, and it's the only golf course that both he and Alistair McKenzie had a role in, and it probably reflects exactly how good this golf course is. Mm-hmm. La Hinch. Oh, La Hinch. Um, is the only golf course they've both touched, well, that I'm aware of or my research is aware of, and why it's held in such great regard. But, you know, we think about Alistair McKenzie and what he did, but this is old Tom Morris, uh, I'm not, and then also Prestwick. I mean, there was that little guy called Prestwick that he – Tend to do pretty well on. Um, what was interesting about old Tom Morris is that his son, young Tom Morris. Mm-hmm. Who you weren't going to touch on, yeah. Who I wasn't going to touch on, beat his old man, beat his dad for the first time in 1864 at the age of 13. 
at 13. Who amazing. hasn't done that? Who hasn't done that? But who's beat their old man who also happened to be the Open champion at the time at the age of 13? Yeah. <laughs> so, that, so that's not a not a bad get. So that was in 1864. Young Tom Morris, um, 1851 to 1875, a short life, but he did win four Open championships in a row and is the Star. only person ever to be able to do that. Um, and this will confuse her. 68, 69, 70 and 72, Damien, yes, in a row, there was no Open Obviously. Championship in, 19, in, 1970, in 1971. Um, and he also was the first one, young Tom Morris, to have his name added to the Claret Jug because the Claret Jug was only brought it was in, a belt, wasn't it, in 1973. That? Was it a belt before that? I didn't do the research on what it was before that, sure. but it was only brought in 1973, which meant as the 1872 reigning Open champion. He was, okay. His was the first name carved on the Claret Jug, which is fabulous. But old Tom Morris, talk about a contribution to golf. Um, out of this world, unbelievable. And if you ever are lucky enough to make it to St Andrews, immerse yourself in the world of old Tom Morris. You can at St Andrews Chapel or Cathedral. You can go and visit his his grave, both he and his son and the family. But it's a magnificent story and one of my favourite places on earth. Old Tom Morris. Here endeth Damien. The lesson, Damien. Wake up, Jeff. Very good by you. Um, no, celebrating a couple of pioneers. We're not going to say anything negative about those two. That's Sp- fantastic contribution to golf. Speaking of celebration, Damien, have you got anything for us to finish today's well, podcast Phil, with? Well, Phil, there was a man and his wife, and they were playing on the just coming up to the ninth hole at their local club. And he gets on the tee and he slices his drive so far to the right that it rolls into a little barn that's sitting on the sitting out there on the right. Now he goes in and he eventually finds his ball and he plans to take a drop. So he turns over to his wife and says, yeah, I'm going to drop this. And she says, no, 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 no. Let me go down the other end of the barn and hold the door open for you. Then you can hit your ball through the door and back into the fairway. And he sits and he thinks for a little bit and says, yeah, actually, that's a great idea. Great idea. So she holds the door open has a practice swing, he steps up and takes a big swing. But rather than flying through the door, he just gets it a little thin and the ball smacks her in the head and sadly, Phil, she dies. She dies. It's really sad. But anyway, a year later, he's finally over it. The same man comes back and he's got a new bride and they're playing that same hole. But you know what memories are like when you get on a golf course? Often you, you produce the same shot at the same place because your memories from last time, it seems to happen over and over. And he does the same thing again. He gets up and he slices a ball into the same barn. He finds it again. And this time he says, no, I'm, I'm going to you know, take an unplayable lie here. And she says, no, no, let me go down the other end of the barn and I'll hold the door open. Then you can hit your ball through and back into the fairway. So he looks at her, shaking his head and he explains, no way. The last time I tried that, I ended up with a triple bogey. Oh, no. Whack. Damien. Thanks for listening to today's Tenuous Links. Special thanks again to today's sponsor, Under Armour Golf, one of our much-loved apparel sponsors. And remember to log on to baronslife.com if you haven't and subscribe for free to get all of our updates and issues of Baron's Life, the freshest golf and lifestyle digital magazine on the planet as well as our Tenuous Links podcast reminders and our Golf Barons show updates. Phil, it's been fun as always. It has been fun, Damien. Until next time, add some swagger to your swing. <laughs>